listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. I'm pumped to be here tonight because last week Ryan kicked us off in a brand new series called Alcatraz, and he talked about, you know, the things in our lives that feel inescapable. They are things in our lives that we just feel trapped, we feel stuck, we don't know what to do. And then he talked about the freedom that's found in Christ, and what does that mean for us when it comes to these things that just feel inescapable. And as I was thinking last week about what he was saying, this one thing just kept coming to mind that for me has felt inescapable, I mean, for years, maybe most of my life. And that is the approval of others. I like to be liked. Uh, Sue me. I like to be liked. I want to know if people like me. If you don't like me, that's fine. I just want to know so that I can move on and find more people to like me. It actually reminds me of this quote from the famed Michael Scott, he said this, he said, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like it is to be praised. He liked to be liked. And I totally get that. That was one of the few times I resonated with Michael Scott. Uh, But that's just how it's been for me. And that's something that I've had to deal with, with wanting the approval of others, wanting to know if I belong, if I fit in, do they like me? And so I want to talk about that a little more tonight. But I do want to put a disclaimer out there that sometimes it does matter. Sometimes it's totally healthy. Sometimes it's totally safe to care if people like you. For instance, a job interview and you want the job. It's probably not great to go in there with a, I don't care what you think about me kind of attitude. You kind of do want them to like you. Or if you get the job and you want to keep the job, it's totally cool to make sure your boss likes you. That's fine. Or if you have a friend or a significant other, you want to make sure you're being a good friend to those people. So it's okay in some instances to see if, you're, if you know, there's ways you can improve, if you're having the approval of others, but it can get really unhealthy fast, right? It can get really toxic really fast, and it is something that can quickly trap us, that can quickly make us feel stuck. And we start to feel this, we start to run into this uh, desire to be like, this desire for the approval of others at a very young age. I mean, we could probably sit around and share stories for hours about, well, when I was little, this one thing happened. When I was in middle school, holy cow, all the stories from middle school, right? When I was younger, this one thing happened, and I just wanted to fit in. I mean, I can think of back to kindergarten. And I remember being on the playground, and I had zero upper body strength uh, when I was five, like most five-year-olds. But it felt like everyone else in my kindergarten class was like swinging on the monkey bars like Tarzan. And I would like get up there and then immediately fall. And I kept trying over and over and over because everyone could do it. And I just wanted so badly to do the monkey bars. And I remember falling and falling. And this one boy looked at me and goes, you're a chicken. And I was like, one, how dare you? Two, oh my gosh, he's right. Like I can't get across the monkey bars. And not that I could have verbalized that at the age of five, but I think that was the first time where I really felt like I just want to fit in and I can't and everyone else can. And here's this one clear thing that I could do to fit in and I just can't do that thing. And it was so frustrating and it was so disheartening. 
And you get into elementary school, and that kind of thing happens there too. And then you get into middle school, and oh my gosh, it's just constant, right? Like there's all these ways to fit in. And in middle school, you're finding yourself changing how you act and how you dress and how you speak and how you behave and how you treat other people because you just have this desire to fit in, this desire to belong. And then you get to high school, and peer pressure is just really happening there. And all of a sudden, you're not just being influenced, you're being blatantly told what to do if you want to fit in. Oh, you want to fit in? Well, we all dress like this. You want to fit in? Well, everyone's doing this with their girlfriend, with their boyfriend. You want to fit in? Well, we're all leaving school. We're all doing this. We're all doing that. Why don't you just do it with us? And we feel this peer pressure. And if we're being honest, for most of us in here, we're probably like, well, if that's all it takes to fit in, then what's the harm? And we could blame it on all these different things. We could say, well, we just want to fit in. We just want to belong. But I think when we get down to the core, what we're really scared of, what we're really trying to avoid is rejection. We just want to avoid rejection because we know it hurts. And if there's a clear way for me to avoid rejection, then I'm probably going to try to do that. And so we have this desire to belong, and we have this fear of rejection constantly running into each other. But the thing is, is that the desire to belong is actually God-given. It's not bad. Don't worry. It's totally normal. It's actually encouraged. God wants you to be in community. He wants us to be in relation with one another. He wants us to have friends and to be close with the people around us. He wants that for us. He wants us to feel like we belong because he wants us to have community. And we know this is true because think about every time you moved as a kid. I moved so many times. And remember, like, you're a little kid and you're seeing all the other kids play in the neighborhood and you don't know them. And you're like, I just... I just want to belong. Or you started brand new school, which was like the worst day. And goal number one was just to survive. But goal number two was I just need to make one friend. Because if I can make one friend, then I might feel some sort of belonging. I might feel some hope that I could fit in here. So this desire to belong, it's not bad. It's not abnormal to just you. It's totally normal. It's not just an Enneagram 7 thing. It's not just an extrovert thing. It's not just an ENFP, element uh, OKP, whatever thing. It's, it's totally normal, and we all feel it. And that's okay. But when that desire isn't met, that's when we face rejection. And rejection, I mean, to put it bluntly, kind of sucks. Rejection's the worst. Because rejection seems to confirm all of your worst fears, right? I mean, if you've ever had a breakup, that first breakup when you're the one being dumped is just awful. Because it's confirming all these fears, even if that's not what they mean, even if they're the nicest person on the planet, they're still the worst in that moment. And even if they're not blatantly saying these things, on the inside we're still wondering, am I lovable? Am I worthy? Will I be alone forever? Should I just already go ahead and start adopting cats? Like, at what point do I just accept this and this is my thing now? But every time we face rejection, whether it's relational, whether it's with a friend, whether it's professional, you don't get the job you wanted, or you didn't get into the school you wanted, it hurts, right? It never seems to get easier. It never seems to get better because 
Every time we face rejection, it feels like we're putting up another wall. Like, well, I think, I think, maybe they rejected me because of this one thing about me. And so I'll just make sure no one ever sees this one thing ever again. Or I know they rejected me because of this one thing because they were kind enough to tell me. And so I'm going to tuck this one away and no one will ever know this about me ever again. And every time that rejection comes, there's a temptation to just change a little bit. And over time, as we face rejection, we start to maybe believe this lie that, well, no one can know the real me. Because if they know the real me, they'll walk away. And so we change. And so we start to pivot. And we start to adjust to what we think people want us to be in order for them to not reject us. Let me be what you need me to be so that I will belong because I'm exactly what you want me to be. And then you can't reject me. Or let me just let you in just a little bit. Not everything, not all that stuff I put back here. No one needs to know that. Let me just let let you in a little bit so that if you do reject me, it won't hurt that bad because you didn't know the real me. Let me just be whatever you want me to be. Or let me just give you 10% of who I really am so that hopefully maybe you won't reject me. And that hurts. And that's hard to be in relationships and friendships where they're just kind of shallow because you're not letting anyone in because you're so scared of rejection, but you're so desperate to belong. I mean, we can't just not be friends with anyone or not ever put ourselves out there again, but gosh, we're so scared. And so we just decide to be a little different to spice things up a little bit in the worst possible way and not let anyone in to actually get to know who we really are. But you see, there was um, this guy, Solomon, who was a king, and at the time he was referred to as the wisest man to ever live. And he wrote all of his wisdom down in this book called Proverbs, one of the books. And in the book of Proverbs, he actually talks about this exact thing, which to me I find really interesting that the so-called wisest guy to ever live wrote about this exact problem. And this is what he says in Proverbs, uh, what was it? 29, 25. He says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. The fear of man, the fear of people's opinions will prove. I know this to be true. He doesn't say they might. There's a good chance. No, they will prove to be a snare, to be a trap. You will feel stuck. It will feel inescapable. And he goes on and he says, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe, is free from the the trap, is free from the snare. And to me, I think... When I read that, I see trust in the Lord as when you trust what God says about you over anything else that's said about you, good or bad, you're kept safe. He protects you because what he's saying about you is true. We can choose to believe that what God says about us is true, more true, definitely more true than anything else anyone will ever say about us. 
And there's another verse that I think can give us confidence to choose that, to choose to believe that what God says about us is true. And it's found in Galatians, and it's written by this guy, Paul. And Paul was writing to these people who they were really struggling to be themselves, to be true to who they knew they were in Christ. And one of those guys who was struggling was actually Peter, the disciple who walked with Jesus. He was friends with Jesus. And then years later, he's still struggling with this. There's a story uh, before this verse where Jesus, or sorry, where Peter is literally flip-flopping back and forth between something because he just wants to be liked by the people around him. And so Paul calls him out on it and he writes this verse that is basically telling Peter, hey, this is where my confidence is coming from and this is where your confidence can come from too. And it's in Galatians 2.20, he says this, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That Christ was crucified and I was crucified along with Christ. And he goes on, he says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus loved me and gave gave himself for me. He loved and he gave. And the same is true for Peter. And the same is true for you. And the same is true for me and for that girl who said that really mean thing about you in sixth grade and for that boy who broke your heart and that girl who never went on a date with you and for all those people that caused us to question who we are. Jesus loved and he gave. And you see, I just think that People's opinions of you pale in comparison to what happened on the cross for you. People's opinions of you pale in comparison. They don't even come close to what happened on the cross for you and for me. And yet here we are getting so bent out of shape over trying to be what people want us to be, by trying to fit in, by worrying about what are they saying, what are they thinking, do they like me, am I enough, how can I change to be enough? And the whole time Jesus is saying, have you not seen what I I did for you? Because here's the kicker, I died on the cross for who you are at your core, not who you've become, not who you've changed to be, just to fit in, you take all that away and who you are at your core, that's who I died for and who I love. I have a friend, uh, just just one friend. Um, I have this friend who saw a YouTube video where this guy took a paper clip and essentially traded it for a house. Have you seen this? He had this paper clip and he just made all these small trades and eventually got a house out of it, which is crazy. So my friend saw this and he was like, I can totally do that. So he got a paperclip. I'm pretty sure he uh, took it from his office and he traded it for a keychain, and then traded it for, this was the, this was the big one to me, traded for a Yeti cup, like a keychain to a Yeti cup is pretty um, large, but anyway, and he, it kept going, and it kept going, and he ended up, he got like a three-night stay in a Tybee Island house, and traded that for a wedding photography package, which those are not cheap, and then traded that for a riding mower, and then traded that for a ton of like super nice power tools, which I was like, mm, you should have just kept like the house in Tybee, and he was like, no, these power tools are awesome, uh, but he just kept 
trading and trading and trading and trading all from a paperclip. And what he said to me, he was like, if I've learned anything, it's just that the value of something is what someone is willing to trade for it. The value of something is what someone's willing to trade for it because those prices, if we actually price that three-night stay in Tybee and the wedding photography package, they probably wouldn't be the same price. But to someone, that was worth a trade. That made total sense. And so they did it. And so the value of something is just what someone was willing to trade. And I'm going to go so churchy right now, but hear me out. Jesus traded his life for who? You. He saw you worthy for that. He saw you valuable for that. He looked at you and he said, yeah, that's a trade I'm going to make every single day. That's a trade I'm never going to regret. That's a trade that to me isn't even a question. And then God traded his son for you so that you could be in relation with him, so that you could know the grace he has, so that you can know his love. And not only that, so you can know the acceptance he freely offers. He doesn't say, well, if you could hide all those things about you, then maybe we can talk. No, no, no. He offers you acceptance freely. And it was a trade that not only was he willing to make, he made because he loves you. And we're getting stuck in this trap. But what do we do? The thing is, is this isn't like an easy fix, right? This isn't something that uh, you're going to hear tonight and you're going to think about and wake up tomorrow and be like, wow, life is great now. I don't believe any lies about me nor have any insecurities or flaws and all my skeletons are coming out. Like That doesn't happen overnight. It's this daily choice. Honestly, it's more of an hourly choice that we have to make to consciously choose to believe that what God says about us is true over what, whatever anyone else says about us or really whatever we assume other people are saying about us, because isn't that the truth? Like, they never actually say it. We just assume that's what they're thinking. And so I think there's three things that we could do that just would really help. And I, please know that I am preaching to the choir on this. I uh, saw that I spoke on these verses like a couple years ago, and I pulled them back out for this, and I was like, oh gosh, like, I have so much work to still do. Um, But the first thing that I think is really helpful is we just have to know the truth. In order to replace the lies, we have to know the truth. A friend once told me that the Department of Treasury, they actually study uh, real money. So they study it so they know exactly what it looks like. So when counterfeit comes in, it's like, boom, gone in a second. They look at it, they say, that's fake, and they get rid of it. And I think that's what we have to do with truth. We have to know what God says about us so that when a lie comes in, we can look at it and say, that's trash, and throw it away before it has any time, any room to take up space in our mind and stick around for a little while because it doesn't need to be there. So if we can study truth, if we can learn truth, and that's by reading your Bible, that's by spending time with God, that's by spending time in prayer, spending time with people who encourage you to do those things, That is how we can know the truth so that when a lie comes in, it does not stay. Because that's what we don't need. And then also knowing that truth, learning that truth will remind us who we are so that we can get rid of the junk that we have taken on over these years trying to be someone that we think we have to be in order to belong. And we don't. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing is, and I kind of just mentioned it, but we have to find accountability. You have to have friends who are going to help you remember who you are, who are going to encourage you to know who God says you are. We might need to rethink the friends who, if we're being honest, we feel like garbage when we're around them, who just aren't helping us. They're actually hurting us more. They're actually causing us to want to change and pivot a little more and hide some things more. And that's not not the kind of friend we need. For this, we need friends who are going to call us out, who say, you're believing a lie right now that's not true. Or you're letting this spend way too much time in your head. It's taken up way too much real estate. So we need to get rid of that. Those are the kind of friends we need. And the last thing is we need to be brave. And this one's a little hard because I can't answer this for you. I don't know what that looks like in your life. Maybe for some of you, you just need to say no more. Because you've decided, and not even consciously, it just happened over time that, well, if I say yes to everything, if I can help with everyone, then I'm worth something. People like me when I help. But that will cause you to put your worth and your value somewhere else that is not God's truth, and it will hurt over time. And we got to say no. I gotten really good at saying no, and I can tell you that's really, really fun. Because when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else, which might be just taking a nap, which is one of the most holy things you can do sometimes. And you just have to say no. And, and my biggest concern with saying no was, will they hate me? No. Because when you're on the receiving end of a no, when you ask someone, hey, can you help me with this? And they say, actually, I can't. You don't, go, you don't leave and think, wow, what a horrible human being. You think, okay, well, that's fine. I'll figure it out. You're totally fine, right? Life is fine. It's great. It moves on. We have to know that, and we have to say no so that we can say yes to other things, and so that we can say yes to finding our worth and our value in who God says we are and not who we think people want us to be. Maybe you need to end a relationship. Maybe you are with someone who just makes you feel awful and they minimize your feelings and they make fun of you for being dramatic or whatever it might be and you just leave and you think, gosh, I have to, if I can just change just a little bit, then we'll be fine. No. You know in your gut that this is unhealthy and that it's toxic and that you deserve better. So we're going to say no to that relationship. It's going to be hard but it's gonna be worth it. Maybe it's a friendship, like I said earlier. That's gonna be a really hard conversation. But trust me, trust me, it's worth it. Or maybe you just need to start standing up for yourself. This is one thing that I think Christians have kind of gotten weird with, with standing up for yourself, because I think sometimes we think we're being rude when we stand up for ourselves. We're not. God created you and he loves you and you deserve respect. And it's okay to stand up for yourself when someone is saying something to your face about you that's not true. That's okay. You can stand up for yourself. I think the hardest place to stand up for yourself is with your family. And if that is your case, holy cow, I'm praying for you. But I think when siblings sometimes can get so mean you know, and it's not like, have you ever been there with your siblings where you're like, this isn't fun anymore, and they're just like going for it, and you're like, I'm going to stand up for myself right now. That's okay. Maybe you need to do that so that that lie, so that what they're saying can't even get in. 
They can't even say it. So I don't know what being brave looks like for you. But I would challenge you to talk to your small group about it, to talk to your leaders about it, so that they can help you find ways, so that they can help you, encourage you to be brave, so that at the end of your day, this is the biggest thing that I just want you to take away. At the end of the day, your worth, your value is coming from who God says you are and not what people thought of you that day, what you assumed people said about you that day, so uh, who you helped that day. Your worth and your value and your confidence comes from knowing that you are loved, that you are worth the biggest trade in all of humanity, and that there's a God who offers you acceptance at no cost.